You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. When you're smiling. Hey you, bubbly sparkling water is crisp, refreshing, and perfect for any occasion. Kind of like my voice, but in a can. No calories, no sweeteners, all smiles. Bubbly, crack a smile. Hello, movie lovers, and welcome to the show. This is your host, as always, from Movie Lovers Unite, John DeGorio, and I just want to say thank you for making this a part of your day. So, for today's podcast, I'm going to be talking about box office numbers. Do they matter or do they not matter? That is the question, and I'm going to go into that in a few minutes. And then, I'm going to be talking about indie films versus theatrical movies, which one's the better one, and which one I prefer, and why. So, but further ado, let's go on ahead and get into this thing about box office numbers. Do they matter or do they not matter? So, I'm going to go on ahead and go about about it this way. I'm going to put people in two two groups. You have one person who just absolutely doesn't care about box office numbers, who actually just goes out and sees a movie for what it is and just has a good time, stuffing their face with popcorn and drinking some soda and just hoping to be entertained and walking out saying, hey, that was a fun movie. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. I actually like people that actually wants to take their time just to enjoy a movie. That If there's a movie that they actually gravitate towards, they actually want to go out and see and want to support it, I'm all for that. And for an average person, they might not even cons- worry about box office numbers or anything like that. But for someone that's like us, like me, and I go out and see about maybe several movies if I can, whenever before this coronavirus actually happened. But I remember going out and seeing tons of movies before uh, before this virus happened. And you know what? I always got this question. Is this. Um, why haven't I got a sequel to X movie? And what I mean by X movie, you just go on ahead and put whatever title that you want in that X spot. And that's what it happens to be. And I always look at the budgets. I always look at that. Then I go back and I look and see how much the movie actually made at the box office. Then you take a third of what it made at the box office because movie theaters take in a third of what they actually make from ticket sales because they actually have to keep the lights on in the movie theaters to actually have the concession stands because that's actually how they make their money. And anyways, after you get that taken away, that's how much the movie actually made. So I'm just going to use this as a prime example because some people have actually asked me this about John Carter. And John Carter actually had a budget of 306.6 million to actually make it made 284.1 million now some people would say you know that made a pretty good amount of money yeah but you're forgetting one thing you take a third of that away that's how much it actually made it didn't even break even enough to where they say you know what we're gonna go ahead and make a sequel out of this because of the fact 
fact is it didn't even make its budget back, which also tells the studios that maybe audiences don't want to see another John Carter movie. Even though there are people out there that actually do want to see a John Carter sequel and everything, it's just with the studios and everything, they're thinking, okay, maybe we don't want to go on ahead and put more cash towards a movie that might not be that successful or anything like that. So we're not going to even worry about a John Carter movie. We're just going to go on ahead and work on something else. And that's exactly why box office numbers to me are actually important in some aspect because of the fact that when you want a sequel, when you're actually passionate about a film that you want to see again, want to revisit those characters again, you have to actually be passionate about the film that you actually want to support. And by actually being passionate about it is spending the money to go out to the movie theaters to go and see that particular movie. Because that actually allows the movie theaters to know, hey, look, there's actually a marketable franchise here where we can actually market our movie and we can actually make a sequel off of it and everything because it actually made X amount of money. It actually ex- actually exceeded the box office numbers to where we can actually fork out more money again. And not only that, but there's also an audience there that wants to see a sequel to a certain movie. So, you know, that's actually how movie theaters actually generates their money and actually knows if they're going to make a sequel or not because of our money. And people are like, well, you know, but they don't really care about us or anything like that because of the fact studios are going to do whatever they want to do. They may be, but if you actually look at it like this, we tell the studios what what's good and what isn't, basically. Because we're the ones who's spending our money and investing our money into a movie that we think that's actually going to be good because the trailer actually sold us. And if the trailer sold us, which trailers can actually be hit and miss. I've seen excellent trailers to bad movies. I've seen bad trailers to good movies. So it could go win-win either. It can be a win-lose kind of situation. But basically we tell the, the movie studios what we want to see. And if we are that passionate about a film that we want to see, we're going to go out and support it. And to the average moviegoer, like I said, they don't care about box office numbers. They're just going to go on ahead and see the movie for what it is. And if there's a sequel, there's a sequel. And they might actually check it out if they want to revisit again. But like us, we're sucked into this thing. We actually care about the environment that this these characters are laid in. We want to actually see these characters actually uh, be better developed again. We want to actually see layers of the characters that we didn't see from the first movie and everything. And... This also goes hand-in-hand, for example, with John Wick. Now, the very first John Wick movie, they didn't start doing promotions until about maybe a week uh, whenever this movie was about to be released, which is also a gutsy thing in a way. Because if you think about it like this, usually whenever they want studios want to actually promote a movie, they want to actually put the trailers out a couple of months beforehand. But for them to go out and... Do it a week before John Wick. Either number one, they didn't have any faith in the John Wick franchise at all. As a matter of fact, it wasn't even a franchise. It was just a movie, a simple base movie with Keanu Reeves, where he was just a hitman who retired and his wife died of cancer. Very simplistic plot and everything. And I don't think the studios actually knew what they had up until the opening day of the John Wick movie, the very first John Wick movie. And, of course, I went on ahead and saw the very first John Wick movie because of the fact, number one, 
it's Keanu Reeves. I'm going to go out and support a Keanu Reeves movie no matter what, because I like Keanu Reeves. But another thing, too, is I'm a sucker for action movies, and this one was right up my alley. And, you know, I really have to say, that movie is really excellent. So, as the weeks kept on going, more people went out and supported John Wick because of the positive word of mouth. And that's also another thing I want to talk about. As a matter of fact, I'm actually going to bring this into the indie thing, too, in a few minutes. But when you have positive word of mouth that's actually working for that project... It's going to make bank. It's going to, people are going to go on ahead and support a movie because of the fact that it's good. And because the movie is good, you're going to wind up, they're going to wind up going out and supporting it, which is actually understandable. And, you know, I really, like I said, I enjoyed the John Wick movies. I loved all, all three of them. And, you know, I, like I said, this movie was originally supposed to be coming out a week uh, oh, the very first, well, I forgot what weekend it was supposed to come out, but bottom line is this, the trailers didn't get released until that following week when the release date was actually going to be happening. So with a positive word of mouth, it ended up making the money that it was supposed to make. So with that being said, the very first John Wick movie that was released back in October 24th of 2014, the budget averaged between... 20 million to 30 million which is actually pretty good because that's only that's actually a low budget film and I didn't realize that it was only 20 to 30 million dollars for the budget at the time when I was doing my research on it and I thought that was actually pretty impressive what else is impressive is the fact the box office only made 86 million everybody's like well okay you just told us about this whole thing with John Carter where the budget and everything but here's the thing you even take a third of 86 million, it actually kind of broke even. And not only that, but critics loved it. Moviegoers lo- loved it. And your average movie uh, moviegoer actually loved it. So there was no split between all those pe- those people at all. Everybody loved John Wick. And because everybody loved John Wick, it turned into a franchise, which turned into this big old huge thing now. Where there's a comic book based off of them. There's pops for John Wick now. Merchandise. And that's also another thing too. Toys sell a movie sometimes as well. So you have all this stuff geared towards the John Wick movie and stuff like that. So I'm actually thrilled at the fact that John Wick is as big as it is now. So like I said, it goes hand in hand with the indie films as well. But I also want to talk about this too. Like, I know some people are like, well, I don't really care about box office numbers and everything. And I'm like, my, my main question is this, why don't you care about something? I mean, I know that you enjoy the movie. I get that. And I respect that. But, you know, you, you spent your money and you invested your time and energy into this film. Do you not want to see those characters be better developed? Do you not want to see what happens to this certain, to a certain character and the events that they actually have in a certain story? And I'm not using John Wick as an example or anything like that. I'm talking about with any movie, for example. Do you not want to see those characters again on the screen? Or is it just like, okay, I'm just one and done, which is totally fine because I was like that with... When you look at the Divergent movies, I was like that with the very first Twilight movie, where I felt like, you know what, I saw this movie, I don't need to go in here and see anymore. And this is also whenever I saw um, another movie, which is 
uh, The Hunger Games. I saw the very first Hunger Games movie. I didn't feel like I need to go out and see the other two Hunger Games movies or anything like that because it, that, those movies were not for me. I was not, Those movies were not geared towards me. But here's the thing. If you guys love those movies, I support you guys 110%. Root for what you guys like and everything. Don't let anyone tell you what you should like and shouldn't like. Because here's the thing. There's going to be movies that I'm sure you guys don't even... That I assure you that I like that you guys are going to probably trash on and everything. And that's fine. All movies are subjective and cannot be quantifiably measured. And that's a beautiful thing about art. And for art not to be measured, I love that. Because what one person might think that looking at a piece of uh, a painting of the Mona Lisa, someone might be thinking, you know what? That Leonardo da Vinci painting is the most beautiful piece of art that I've ever seen. Then there's this other guy who just poo-poos the whole entire thing. Where he goes, oh, that, that painting looks like trash. It looks like a piece of crap. And it's totally subjective. And, of course, if it's completely subjective, you know, you can argue the fact that maybe this guy might be a douchebag for just saying that he doesn't why because he's just saying that he doesn't care about the painting of the Mona Lisa but I've always been the type of this okay so if you're dealing with these people and everything if you're dealing with that one group of person where it's like oh that's trash well explain to me why that is trash that's my main thing here why is the Mona Lisa trash to you but like I said all art is subjective and everything. And because art is subjective, one person might see something different than somebody else. And you know what? I might be the only one in this world that loves the very the second Mission Impossible movie by John Woo. I might be the only person on earth, but I loved the heck out of that movie. Yeah, it's cheesy, but I loved it for what it was. And yes, I know I'm probably going to get a lot of voicemail messages for this. And Tamika's probably laughing her butt off at me right now. For even saying the fact that I liked the Mission Impossible movie. But, two movie. But, anyways. Like I said, box office numbers to me are very important. Whenever you actually want to see a certain sequel to a movie. Because that allows the studios to know that there's actually a franchise that they want to do. As a matter of fact, all studios nowadays, all they want to do is market towards franchises. Versus just doing one, one and out films. So, that's how I feel about this whole entire deal where box office numbers do does it matter or does it not matter and to me for me as a person that actually goes and sees lots of movies it does matter because i do want to see stuff that's actually better fleshed out and i do want to see these characters again and yes the sequel might not be as good as the first one but at least i can say i supported it at least i tried to go out and enjoy something and that's that. I mean, that's how I actually feel about it. And another thing, too, is I want to also mention this. Batman versus Superman was also a $252 million budget or $150 million budget. Either one. I can't remember which budget it actually was. But if you and this is an example of a sequel and stuff like that, too, if we're actually going to see something or not. And if there's a division between the film fans and the critics, even though people say, well, it doesn't really matter what the critics says or anything like that. It matters what we think. Yeah, it matters what you think and everything. Yes, it matters what we think. But here's the thing. And this is what this is where I'm actually going to come in and say this. Is the fact that you if you go out and support this film, Batman versus Superman, and you didn't like it, 
or anything like that, you know, there's a split between the the movie going audience and also the critics because both of y'all, both of us didn't like that film. So there causes a split and a division among film fans. So chances is if that winds up happening and it doesn't and it's also hard to actually make their somewhat the money back with a hundred and fifty million dollar budget or a two hundred and fifty million dollar budget. Because you actually have to double down hard on your marketing campaign to actually make it. And if your marketing to campaign just sucks, that movie's going to bomb. And I'm not just saying that for a Batman vs. Superman film or anything like that. Um, or anything. I'm not poo-pooing uh, Batman vs. Superman. I'm just saying, for any movie in general, it's actually hard to make your money back with a budget like that. It's good to actually have a smaller budget to where you can actually have it to where your money can actually make some money to where studios can actually entrust in you to make another film. And they're like, okay, well, we gave them a little, a small budget and everything and made this much money. So we're going to go on ahead and give you, give them another chance at making another movie because they did make a success out of this movie with a lower budget that we have. So we're going to give them a little bit more money to play around with this go around. So there's that. So now, as far as indie films versus big budget films, here's the thing. I love indie films. Indie films is one of my favorite things of this world that I love. And the reason why I love indie films is the fact that you have a lot of independent directors and actors that actually do a great job. And I'm not saying that theatrical movies and everything like that, actors and actresses don't do a great job. It's just, I feel like there's indie films are a little bit more passionate about their writing and making sure that their characters are involved in the way that they need to be involved in in each scene. For example, the peanut butter Falcon is actually one of my favorite indie films. The gift is actually one of my favorite indie films. And if you don't know what the gift is, I actually did a review on that. So you guys can actually check that out. I also did a review on the peanut butter Falcon. If you don't know what that is, it's a child buff film. And he does a fantastic job in that movie, taking care of a Down Syndrome guy who is actually passionate about wrestling and wants to become a wrestler. And they go on this journey to, to where he can actually train as a wrestler. And Shia LaBeouf is also dealing with some things as well as a character. And it's just a good movie as an indie film. There's also Whiplash. Whiplash is one of those movies with Miles Teller in it, and it's just fantastic. And even though I didn't really care for the ending that well, I can say I love the passion behind the movie like Whiplash. And I love the I love the film that I mentioned besides Peanut Butter Falcon. I also have to say The Gift was a good one with Jason Bateman in it as well. And it was a great hit at the indie festivals. And then also too, even though I didn't care for these two movies, The Green Room and also The Witch and everything. I fully supported both of those films. I actually bought both of those films even though I didn't care for them. But I love watching indie films because the directors are able to do whatever they want to do because they're able to control the budgets a little bit more than what the studios and everything can. Because the studios want to control just about everything. With indie films, you can basically do anything you want with your own film because it's your own film and therefore you haven't really sold it to a big budget studio or anything like that, like Warner Brothers, Miramax, or you name your studio. You pretty much, they have, like to actually have control over your property because you're selling your piece of work over to a studio versus you putting out your own content 
and everything and where you can have full creative control over your own content. And that's why I love indie films is because you have a lot more creative room to do whatever you want to do. And that's the beautiful thing about indie films. Now, theatrical films, I love theatrical films. As long as they don't tell the directors what to do. And that's one of my biggest pet peeves whenever it comes down to like the Warner Brothers stuff and everything. They always want to seem like they're interfering with the directors and everything. And they don't really allow a lot of breathing room when it comes down to the directors. Unless you're like a James Wan and maybe even a Patty Jenkins for that matter as well. And, you know, I have to say this. I think that they need to go on ahead and give directors creative room to breathe. If you entrusted your director to make the best damn movie possible, let him make the best damn movie possible. If it ends up sucking, let it suck and promote the hell out of it anyways. Don't try and hide it. That's one of the biggest problems with Sony Pictures as well. They tried everything they can to cover up a couple of movies. I forgot which ones it was. To the point where it's like, you know what? We're going to cover this up. Because of the fact that it didn't do that well. It does, it's not, uh, the tracking is not going well for it. And so the PR department is not really doing that great of a job promoting it. So we're going to try and cover this up to the point where maybe nobody will go out and see it and support it. So we're just going to cover it up. And especially with embargoes, another thing with embargoes is this. And this is what I've learned from other people in the industry and everything too. Is if the embargo is the day of the movie or a day before, like the night before the movie, or the day it releases, the chances is, nine times out of ten, that movie is not any good. Because if the studios are behind it, if the major studios are behind a certain film, they're going to promote it months beforehand. They're not going to promote it and everything the day of the movie. And they're not going to have a red carpet event on the day of the movie to lift the embargo to where people can actually talk about a movie that they're excited for. If they're excited for it, they're going to go on ahead and tell them, hey, look, the embargo's lifted. You guys can actually talk about this film because I want the positive word of mouth because I actually need the positive word of mouth because we fully support our directors and actors and actresses and writers behind this film. So I give you full authority to go ahead and talk about this film. So... That's what I feel like Warner Brothers needs to do. Have some self-confidence in the property that they're even wor- they're working on. Because of the fact, I know I say this all the time, but if I tell someone to paint my house blue and I come out with white paint and say, you know what, I changed my mind. I don't like the way you're painting that house blue. I want you now to turn it back over to white and everything. You're not giving that artist the creative time that they actually deserve to actually do what they need to do. And that's one of my biggest pet peeves when it comes down to that. And that's why I like indie films versus um, big budget movies and stuff like that. But I still enjoy the big budget movies. It's just that indie movies, to me, are a lot better and everything. And that's also another thing, too. I actually interviewed an indie director. And even in that interview, you can actually tell that, you know, being an indie director, you have a lot more breathing room. You have a lot more creativeness to do whatever you want with your characters. You're able to flesh out your characters. You're able to do a lot more than what you can do with a big budget movie and everything, too. And, you see, I really, I really don't care for the Transformers movies. Unless you count the very first Transformers movies. But you can't rule out the fact that they didn't make 
a billion dollars every single time because of the PR department. Because the PR department puts out some damn good trailers. And there's no denying that. Because if you look at the trailers for all those Transformers movies, they put out some good ones. And then you go out and see it, it's a totally different story. But as a PR department and everything, you should be proud of the fact that you were able to sell this movie and people want to go out and see your movie. And that's the same way with big budget films. But I'm going to go on ahead and tell you this. If you haven't seen The Painted Butter Falcon, if you haven't seen um, seen that movie at all, I strongly recommend that. That's actually going to pull in your heartstrings a lot and everything. And also The Gift with Jason Bateman. And I'm going to go into a little bit of details with that movie right now just to give you some groundwork on what that's about. I'm not going to give a review since I've already done it. But basically, Jason Bateman and his wife just moves into a new house. And they meet their new neighbor. And that neighbor is now stalking them and leaving them gifts at the door. And now you're wondering why this person is leaving these gifts at the door. And it goes in from you hoping that Jason Bateman makes this thing out alive because you don't know anything about this character. But as you get deeper and deeper into it, you're going to wind up doing a whole 360 because you no longer actually root for Jason Bateman. You're Now you're rooting for the wife and you're also rooting for the villain in the story and i'm not going to go on ahead and tell you why you guys are just gonna have to check that out for yourself it's on netflix i believe check out that movie peanut butter falcon i rented that on the red box and everything so uh i think it might be at red box still but go on ahead and check that out too if you like indie films and you know like i said i mean shia buff i usually i used to call him shia boots and or shia douche that's what i used to call him shia douche and you can't deny the fact the guy is a phenomenal actor. He can act his ass off. And he does a great job at doing what he does. And Peanut Butter Falcon was one of those movies that people can actually relate to, gravitate towards, and enjoy for what it is. And like I said, even with a movie like um, Whiplash, which is a guy who's actually passionate about drumming, actually wanting to become the best jazz drummers, and everything, and J.K. Uh, Simmons is in it, and he plays uh, the composer for this jazz band, and everything, and let me just tell you this, J.K. Simmons is a total douchebag in this movie, but it actually lands very well. Another one is Michael Keaton's Birdman, that's actually a good indie film as well, it won in a Best Picture Academy Award, I recommend that as well. There's just so many good indie films out there right now. That you should go out and support it. And I know some people are going to be like. Well how can I support an indie film. When you have big budget films like this. Let's let's say this. Take a group of friends with you. And go to the box office. Or just go by yourself. And say hey look. I want you to show this movie. And if you get a bunch of people around that to where they say, hey, look, I want to see the Peanut Butter Falcon or I want to see Whiplash. Chances is the theaters are going to wind up showing that film. And the problem with indie films, they don't get shown a lot. And that's because people don't know how to actually go about letting the theaters actually support indie films. And I believe if you wind up going to your theater, you might actually wind up coming up on top with... Especially if you're like a large group of people and say, look, I heard about this indie film and it got a lot of buzz over at the indie uh, film festivals. 
I think that you guys should go on ahead and play it. Chances is, movie theaters might actually take a chance at actually opening up at least one film, at least for one showtime and everything, and you get your movie. You might actually get a chance to actually check out a certain movie or whatever that you've been wanting to check out. And, you know, I really have to say, I mean, I've done it before where I was like, well, what about this movie? Why why isn't Uncut Jim's playing at a theater and everything? This is an Adam Sandler movie. And this is at a small theater. It's like, well, because no one's really wanting to see, see it or anything like that. I'm like, well, at least try and see if the audience might want to see it. Maybe there's a way that online where you can do a poll and everything to see if if people actually want to go out and support a movie like Uncut Gems or a Whiplash or a Peanut Butter Falcon or anything like that. Maybe they might want to try it. But there's always ways of actually trying to figure things out what audiences might want to see and might not don't want to see. But that's just how I feel about it. I like to know what you guys have to say about that. And, you know, I want to also mention something else, too, that I've been wanting to talk about is the fact that what's really what I really want to talk about is Daredevil. The rights go back in six months if... The studios don't if the studios don't do anything with Daredevil, and I can't. I hope that you know Disney Marvel winds up hiring uh, Cox again for Daredevil because here's the thing: he did such a great job as Matt, and I would I would love to see him as that as Daredevil, but at the same time, he's also Charlie Cox also said that he's said his goodbyes and everything and doesn't want to do Daredevil anymore, which is actually 100% okay with me. Because here's the thing. The MCU is one is probably going to wind up changing the way that we know Daredevil from the Netflix series so the way it can actually be a shared universe within the MCU. And here's the thing. I want them to actually make a Marvel Knights studio that's perfectly designed for Reddit R films, for Daredevil, for Jessica Jones, for Luke Cage, for uh, The Punisher. I want a shared universe just for them, for their own shared universe. Unless you're going to do a cameo role and everything, then you can step outside of the Marvel Knights universe and put them into the MCU and have like little small cameo roles where maybe Matt Murdock is actually representing She-Hulk or she or he's rep- representing somebody else. And he doesn't actually have to play Daredevil but just play the lawyer as a like a little tip of the hat of saying Matt Murdock is actually in our universe and everything. I think that would actually be a pretty neat way to actually go about it. But to know that Daredevil's actually going to be uh, getting back into the studio sometime soon within 6 months. It makes me excited. I'm actually excited to see where they're going to go with this. I know it's not going to be until maybe 2021 or 2022 when we actually get some feedback into what Kevin Feige is going to do with that. But I could definitely see him or Blade because they are rebooting Blade. Uh, I could actually see him and Blade actually doing something within the MCU. But, you know, it's all up to Kevin Feige on what he wants to do. It's not up to me, but... That's how I would do it, but doesn't mean that that's going to be right or not. But anyways, 
that's going to do it for me for tonight for my podcast. I hope that you guys enjoyed it. I hope that I gave you some insightful information be- between box office numbers, if they matter or if they don't. I hope that I gave you some insightful information about how I feel about indie films and big theatrical films. Tell me what you guys think in- about that. And also, too, let me know what you think about the Daredevil. Uh, Daredevil actually going back into the MCU in, in six months. Tell me what you guys have to say. And until next time, as always, this is John DeGore from Movies Lovers Unite. Until next time, bye-bye.